Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast. I'm your host, William Liu. I'm joined this week by Blake Murphy. Blake, how you doing? Good, man. How are you? I'm I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Weather's uh, turning up and things like this. Um, and, you know, with this comes what seems to be, there seems to be a lot of momentum on the return of NBA basketball. And, you know, there's all these ideas being thrown out. And, you know, I kind of just wanted to call you and sort of talk through basically how this would look and you know maybe talk about some actual basketball things which is kind of nice i mean blake uh i've I've enjoyed reading about uh paul watson who uh we will get to at the end of this podcast uh and also reading about uh raptors fans uh finding love through the team (laughs) but um how's this period for you man because it's uh it's it's weird right now covering basketball when basketball is not there yeah, to be completely honest, I, I've actually been more productive than I would have expected. Like, I think my writing volume's down, obviously, but I'm still still writing, like, three or four things a week, an average week. Um, you know, it's been an opportunity to connect with guys like Hollinger and Sam Vecini on the draft and um, and do, like, some, like, retrospective stuff. Like, I, I did the Landry Fields thing and the Ben Uzo thing. Um, I don't know, man. People have had enough of an appetite for content, and then, like it lets you zoom out a little bit and kind of refresh your take on like, you know, what did OG season look like? What did Pascal season look like? And that's stuff that normally you only get to do in the off season. So it might end up pretty valuable um, if we do get a resumption to the season uh, to have been able to, to zoom out on guys like that a little bit. And then this will probably be the most prepared I've been for a draft since 2016 when the Raptors had two first round picks, just because I've had the time to dig in on some guys. Mm. And, and by the way, when people, when, when Blake's talking about prepared on the draft, uh, you know, we we worked together for a couple of years at the score, and I remember you were heading that up. And um, you know, in 2014, I think you had a like a spreadsheet about I would say a hundred deep, and uh, basically the idea was you would research these guys, you would scout them out, you would like put together like a little short shell for everybody, and so when the picks were announced, we can sort of plug everything together fill in some blanks, X teams drafts, X player, throw it out and stuff like that. So Blake was making like a hundred draft profiles essentially. And the only guy out of the 60 that he didn't get was uh, Bruno Caboclo. Yeah, it was brutal. <laughs> so what I would do is I would take the top 75 at that point in time from ESPN and from uh, Draft Express, mm-hmm. and anyone who made either top 75 or whatever it was made my list. And like, if you were expected to go in the first round, we'd have like a paragraph of strengths, a paragraph of weaknesses and a paragraph about, you know, upside or just like about the guy or whatever. Um, that way, cause like when we were at the score, you want to alert it to people's phones. So if, you know, if the Raptors draft Deandre Daniels, Raptors fans can get the, the cliff notes on Deandre Daniels quickly. Mm. Uh, but Bruno stumped us. Well, the funny thing is I remember when this happened, cause you were like, fuck. he was like, <laughs> I think the next five, because you had considered him. It was like... Or am mm-hmm. I misremembering this? No, he was on the like larger list. Just he didn't make the crack of it's guys that <laughs> we did little blurbs for. Because it so, was like no one... Everyone was like... Like the draft analysts at the time were like... And, and don't get me wrong. Like I prepared well. And, and on the main guys, I watched a lot of... Um, as much video as I could. And... and um, but, you know, the guys like Giovanni and Sam Bassini and um, at the time Chad Ford. Those guys know a little better what the draft range for guy is and everyone was like if he it'll be a second round draft and stash if he's even on the radar and i was like okay whatever we don't need to we don't need to prep that much for like because you could prep endlessly for guys who could be second round draft and stash Mm -hmm. yeah exactly so that i mean again it's always super impressive to me that you you did 59 out of 60 and then you had considered bruno like it was you fran fashilla and I guess <laughs> it must have been Masai, Bobby, and Dan Tolzman who were watching yeah. Bruno. And the Phoenix Suns, apparently. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Um, the Phoenix yeah. Suns for leverage. No, I, I can't wait, man. This is going to be the best scouted uh, 28th pick in the NBA history. 
you know. No, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not going like crazy or anything, but like, I definitely made a video of Xavier Tillman's dribble handoff game today. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> like, no, it's it's fun, man, and it's like, um, it's uh, it's cool to get to do this because, like I said, 2016, the Raptors had two first round picks. I lived really close to OVO Athletic Center at the time, so it was easy to get there for the pre-draft workouts and stuff. And then, like, 2017, they had one pick, which was fine. They worked a lot of guys out. But then 2018, they had no picks. And 2019, they had the number 58 pick, so, mm. or 59 or whatever it was. So it's been a couple years since I got to dive in on this stuff. And, like, obviously I won't be as uh, as well-versed as guys like Vicini and the, the best people on NBA Draft Twitter and stuff. But that's where those people are useful. And you can, you know, you start the process by kind of curating – lists or opinions from people you trust and then that helps guide who you're going to dive in on a little deeper and try to find more out about so um those people are invaluable and then it lets you kind of you know i could never watch as much college basketball as the people who follow it all year long because i got the raptors to take care of um so those people help you kind of narrow your focus and make sure you you know a little bit about everyone come draft night except for bruno yeah Oh, no, that was the best, too, because, I mean, we, we've talked so much about this Bruno story, but um, we had to get, like, a photo for everybody, the guy. And, like, we had a pretty good photo service. You can get a photo of every guy. For Bruno, I swear to God, all we had was a picture of uh, the Raptors mascot banging a Raptor drum. Because <laughs> there was no picture of Bruno. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, ah, I know I know. with sometimes, like, some of the Euro, Euro League players and stuff, we didn't have good Euro yeah, pictures yeah, yeah. or whatever. So we had, like... Uh, I don't know. We would just use like a photo of like a ball rack or something like that. <laughs> Congratulations, your team drafted a basketball. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, all right. Man. So, and, and the worst part was is like, like the Bruno pick was at least uh, fun. The DeAndre Daniels pick was worse and more frustrating. Yeah, I was gonna say Bruno's in his sixth NBA season right now, and uh, I've lost track of uh, where DeAndre Daniels has gone. But apparently, not a pleasant dude. Um. Okay, let's let let's talk about return of basketball. Uh, before Blake uh, eventually becomes, uh, the nine oh five GM and Raptors GM ine- inevitably. Um, uh, based. Oh nah, man, all I'm this. going to Detroit with Dan Tolzman. Oh okay. Uh, I'm not. You're Dan gonna would, scare people, Dan man. Would Come not on. Do that. He's uh, yeah. People should be scared about losing Tolzman, who's ready for a GM job. I think, but no one's gonna take me anywhere. Yeah, this is the problem with um, this is the problem with uh. The Raptors being such a good organization is now you got to worry about keeping all these talents, you know. Yeah, but that's you know you trust your just like you trust your ability to develop players as you lose them, you got to develop those front office people too. Yeah, there's a uh, you know there are Chad Sanders and Isaac Lax and Shelby Weaver in behind the the Tolzman part of the the hierarchy, so you know. Yeah, they got shooters. The Raptors are uh, Raptors Republic. You know, you might yeah. you might you might lose people eventually, but uh, always yeah. loyal. Uh, okay, let's talk about also, return of basketball. Also, hasn't been any content in three months. It's just, just well, okay. Like well, this is, uh, look, I'd love to get a quick. I would die for a quick reaction right now, like a summer league, a quick and dirty summer league quick reaction, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, let's talk about return of basketball. So, um, you know, there's been a couple of. Basically, it seems like there's a lot of momentum, and um, apparently the uh, the league is going to meet on Thursday and then on Friday uh, to discuss some uh, of the proposals and things like that. But it seems like there's significant momentum towards basically hosting something in Orlando on the Walt Disney properties, and uh, the idea is most likely, I guess it's not officially confirmed, but to host all 30 uh, teams in this one single location. And, of course, they're kind of talking now about, you know, maybe we do like a 1 to th- one through 16 seeding instead of conference play. Or uh, maybe, you know, how you know what do we do with the rest of the regular season? And, and maybe we do this random idea where you maybe draw from a pool and kind of do a World Cup style. So um, let's just talk about some of these ideas first and then maybe we address some logistical issues. Um, let, let's start with the 1 versus 16 format. So uh, yesterday you pointed out on Twitter that, Raptors path in a one versus 16 reseeded format would see the Raptors play Memphis in the first round, probably Denver in the second round, and then uh, probably the Lakers in the third round. Um, is this actually an easier path than just playing a regular, you know, um, system throughout the Eastern Conference? I don't know. I guess it, it depends how you feel about a couple of the teams, obviously, right? Like, 
Um, you would, I wouldn't argue with you if the Jokic matchup worried you, or like, you, like if you were as scared of the Nuggets as you would be of whoever comes out of Celtics 76ers, um, I would understand that. I would probably lean, and, and then obviously your opinion on whether the Lakers or the Bucks are a better team uh, can vary as well. You know, the, the Bucks analytically and by net rating and record were uh, a significant head above the rest of the league, whereas the Lakers were kind of in that second tier with the Clippers, Raptors, and even Celtics. Um, so I could, you know, I you can flip a coin or, or you can lean 60-40 one way or the other on Bucks, lakers and even on Nuggets, Celtics, 76ers. Uh, but I think the 1-16 to path is a little better for the Raptors. I think the Grizzlies are... Uh, a much more fun matchup than the uh, the Brooklyn Nets would be. Um, I don't know that the series goes any differently. I'd probably pick the Raptors in five in either of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think the Nuggets are uh, the Nuggets are good and the Nuggets are tough. Um, and the Raptors are zero and three against the Nuggets the last two years. But I think the Nuggets are a team that the Raptors would be well equipped to game plan for, like in a seven game series. Um, Jokic is obviously really difficult, but the Raptors last played them with no Gasol and no. Abaka, um, and despite that, they still put up 115 points per 100 possessions. So um, the Raptors could score even in that format. So I think I think you know Denver's Denver's tough, and Jokic is a novel playoff challenge. Uh, and you'd you'd have to assume some level of you know Gasol and Abaka being back to full game shape after the first round. Uh, but I think you like the Nuggets better than a Celtics or 76ers matchup. And then uh, you know I think. I think the Lakers are, are probably a less overwhelming opponent than the Bucks, and obviously LeBron is LeBron, and Anthony Davis is very good. Uh, I do wonder if maybe the fact that the Raptors beat the Bucks last year has maybe has Raptors fans sleeping a little bit on just how good the Bucks are, mm-hmm. uh, but also the Bucks looked like that in the regular season last year too, and were analytically way stronger than everyone else. So uh, who knows? But I think the big one is that second round series. And you like the Raptors' chances of getting to the semis a little better this way. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I mean, I, I think that Gasol matchup is is so key. Um, because, like, yeah, as you mentioned, in the Nurse era, I guess in the last, you know, year and a half, um, they are 0-3. But obviously Gasol didn't feature in all of those. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, if if one thing is, you know, that... that there's one bit of good that comes out of you know the league taking this sort of shutdown is hopefully some of these guys uh, got healthier. Obviously, conditioning is a big issue, and um, yeah, you know, we got to see about that one. But I mean, look, listen, I, that, I feel like Jokic might also suffer some uh, conditioning issues. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to see, hard to say, um, you know, how this is going to affect guys. And I could, you could convince me of the logic going a couple different ways in terms of who's going to be most adversely affected by the layoff. Like, you could sell me that it's you know, after a certain amount of time for a guy like Gasol or Ibaka, the rust swings and is a bigger factor than the rest. But also, like, by the second round of the playoffs, especially if they get a regular season to start, uh, you know, maybe that's not a factor. Um, And then you could convince me that, you know, it affects older guys more because they have a shorter runway and they need to stay in game shape. Or you could tell me it affects younger guys more because they've never been off the court that long or whatever. So I think there's going to be a lot of uh, unknown like that. Which is why I'm like a little hesitant about some of the other proposals. I don't mind the one to sixteen reseed though, because like there's no travel to concern yourself with, and um, I don't think it's necessary personally. Like I think you'd be fine. Everyone's going to be so happy to have basketball back, and, and you get some good uh, potential rivalry games if you set it up standard East West. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's going to be a lot to uh, a lot to figure out, man. It's all going to be so weird to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, like. The, the best part about the 1-16 proposal, at least from the Raptors' perspective, is you have what I would say the two best teams in the league in terms of just, like, their ability to perform in the playoffs. I would probably say it's the Bucks and the Clippers, and they're both on the yep. opposite side of the bracket, which is very yeah, nice. Yeah, and then I think, you know, I, I think Boston is maybe fifth, if yeah. you were ranking those out, maybe sixth. And then, like, Philadelphia was obviously, like, not playing up to their standard but like they're a scary playoff team too if ben simmons is healthy and then once you get away from some of the the regular season bs where they're not you know maybe guys aren't fully locked in or they're not fully optimizing uh, their lineups and stuff like that um we've seen intimately what philly's defensive upside looks like in a playoff series and i don't you know i think in that format probably four of the best seven or eight teams are on the other side of the bracket mm-hmm. so 
including the top two. I guess four of the top eight teams being on the other side of the bracket would make complete sense in a normal distribution. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, I think I think Boston's maybe maybe five if you're ranking these out, and they're on the other side of the bracket too. So it's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a good point, right? If, if, if your biggest thing is every round you get, you know, increases your chances of going to the finals, which it ob- or winning the finals, which it obviously does, um, you know, keep yourself alive as long as you possibly can and, and hope things keep breaking your way and you pick up momentum again. So, um, yeah, I think it would benefit the, the Raptors' chances at least of getting to the finals. If not, you know, it doesn't change it overall necessarily because whether you think it's the, the Bucks or the Clippers who are the best team, uh, you'd have to beat one of them at some point. But beating one of them is a lot easier than beating two of them. Yeah, exactly. Um, man, this Clippers path through the playoffs will be, will be hilarious. I mean, look, first off, you have Kawhi coming off three months of rest. So I'm I, <laughs> just imagining him scoring 60 points a game with all this uh, load management. But, yeah, seriously, it's uh, the Mavs first round, which, you know, whatever. But still, Luka's, Luka and Porzingis has uh, really come on strong. And then, yeah, Celtics, uh, Sixers, the winner of those two. And then after that, you got to play the Bucks. And then after that, you might have to play the Raptors or the Lakers or whoever comes out of the you know, right side of the bracket. So, yeah, this is uh, this is interesting. But as a Raptor fan, selfishly, I, I kind of prefer uh, this path. Only slightly, though, because I do think the competition is still very, very tough, regardless of how you chop it down. Uh, there's another proposal out there. I don't know if you've seen this one, um, that Zach Lowe and uh, Adrian Wojnarowski sort of threw out there where it's sort of like a pool play where um, it's similar to a World Cup style where – you know, you have certain teams drawn into certain pools, and they got to win the pools. And then, the, then after that, there will be eight final teams, and then those eight teams will play like a regular playoffs. Some basically like the second round onward, uh, with seven game series and stuff like that. Um, this one feels more unnecessary to me than reseeding one to sixteen. It just feels like unnecessarily uh, complicating things, but it's also one way where you can kind of get more regular season games um, and sort of give teams a chance to sort of. Uh, fight into uh, playoff contention because you got teams like um, the Spurs or like the Blazers and things like that where they're on the they're on the cusp of making the playoffs and it's not entirely fair to them to just say okay it's over uh, we got to start with the 16 teams that are up there right now what are your thoughts on the pool uh, style proposal yeah I don't I don't have a ton of patience for the teams that are like if you if you want to frame it as like these teams lost their chance to make the the playoffs and you need to open it up for them like yeah the Grizzlies had a really tough part of the schedule to close their final 17 games and New Orleans and Portland and San Antonio were kind of kicking around uh, but they were all three and a half games or more out and the east was more or less set bearing like some dramatic dramatic end of season change so I don't I don't hate trying to make those teams whole and give them a proper chance but i don't think it's a, a strong enough like if this were 40 games into the year i'd be like yeah absolutely you need to find a way to level that mm-hmm. um with the nba like in terms of um projectability like we know who the best like 14 teams are at the 40 or 60 game mark like there's not a ton of change uh either team that got into the eight seed would um likely be out very promptly obviously there's a you know, I think I think some people would maybe like Zion in that position more than uh, they'd like Jaw and Brandon Clark and JV and, and Dylan Brooks. But uh, you know, we'll we'll see how much control Nike has over this process, I guess. Mm. Um, but yeah, I don't I, I don't like I don't really like the group stage idea that much. Like, I think it's fun to think of different ways to approach the season and different ways of doing things. Um, in this case, though, I would like. If you're going to change things right now to wrap up the season, um, you need to give me a compelling reason why other than, like, why not try something. Like, if you're aiming at a way to minimize risk or minimize the number of teams that are there fairly or, um, you know, like, if you're trying to make the most of the situation and and mitigate some of the risk factors, uh, then I understand it and I'm on board. If you're just doing it just to be gimmicky, then I'm less inclined to lean that way and then like obviously there are the issue of some of the regional sports networks and if this helps you get the teams that need to get the 70 games or 72 games to 70 or 72 games for revenue purposes uh, i get it but you know if they roll this out and it's just like a 20 team playoff where it's designed to kind of let one team get hot and get through at the expense of a better team i don't really you know i'm not gonna be mad at it or anything i don't care it'll be fun and i'll lean into it 
Uh, and I don't think it'll, you know, I think it's more likely to affect kind of the mid-tier teams than the top teams. Uh, but it does seem, uh, the way it's been described does seem a little bit gimmicky for the sake of gimmicky right now and not gimmicky uh, to make the most of the current situation. Yeah, for sure. I, I think, you know, this is sort of a halfway proposal where you try to satisfy two things, right? I, I think maybe you don't want to bring all 30 teams back because who wants to see, um, I don't know, the Cleveland Cavaliers with Andre Drummond? <laughs> Like yeah. nobody yeah. wants to see that. Like it's okay. Like thanks. You know, we, we it's not even necessarily worth the testing, all the efforts and stuff like that. Um, so maybe you can sort of get away with only sending a couple of teams over, and you can kind of maybe not necessarily reduce to sixteen, which I think is the minimum. But um, you know, at least it won't be just sixteen. It could be twenty, and you can get those games and things like that. And you know, that is a real concern. It's just like. How much are these teams relying on these local TV deals? Because if you don't, lo- if you don't get that money. I mean, this is the thing. Like the players and the owners are all aligned on this. Is just, you know, uh, <laughs> this is how people make their money. And especially if you can't like have fans at these games, so that's pretty important. Um, what? Yeah. I, I just I don't like the pool play only because like you're never gonna see it again. So it's like you're you're really really making the season a gimmick. Like there's always gonna be a big asterisk on this season because of this whole shutdown and everything like that. And the fact that they're, you know, all playing in Orlando randomly. Um, but yeah, this would especially make that an asterisk. Cause let's say, I don't know, man, LeBron sprays an ankle on which I guess that never happens. Anthony Davis sprays an ankles. Uh, that always happens. And you know, like he misses two games and all of a sudden, you know, the Lakers are out before they even get to the final eight. Like, like, I don't know. That's, that's not fair to the Lakers. And I honestly, like, I would look at this whole entire playoffs differently without that happening. So, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I don't want to – I hate to tell you what's going to happen when a uh, player tests positive for, for coronavirus and shifts the playoffs that way. So Yeah, that's uh, also a very, very big concern. But, but <laughs> this is kind of what I mean by, like, if you're going to do this, it has to make sense from, uh, like, from uh, the perspective of mitigating risk factors, like – Mm-hmm. it's you know maybe it doesn't increase like may like that format is maybe no if every team is playing say nine games or 10 games or whatever that's maybe no different than just finishing out the regular season but it takes away the option of a team to like rest anthony davis or lebron james or which obviously the league isn't going to want teams to do coming out of hiatus anyway but you're also going to run into like the more teams that you add the more teams you have that are just like not going to play like golden state is not playing any of their no. guys no matter what you make this format um damian lillard i think even told i chris haynes uh, of yahoo maybe uh-huh. that if portland doesn't have a chance to make the playoffs he's not going to play in these games um so maybe maybe that's it like that you're trying to get those 17 to 24 teams motivated um but i don't know like i don't know how much it changes the incentives for a lot of these teams like if you're i don't know if you're the chicago bulls do you push further all in like do you does it change anything for you when you're not also not getting like home playoff revenue or anything like that? Um, I know everyone has to kind of look at things holistically from like a health of the league perspective. Uh, I just maybe this is just an issue of like we don't have enough details about how this would be rolled out and the why behind it. Um, so I'm withholding judgment until we get a little bit more of that. But the initial like at first blush, it seems like an unnecessary wrinkle to add to things. Right. I agree. Um and then there's the idea of maybe they just play a little bit of a short regular season anyway. Mostly, this is just to satisfy, um, you know, whether... I, I'm assuming this is mostly to satisfy the 72-game requirement or the 70-game mark for whatever local TV contracts are out there. Um, yeah, it's... it's You know, for, for this, I actually don't think it affects the Raptors that much because I think they're actually kind of set where they are. Um, you know, we're, we're probably only looking at maybe like six or seven regular season games uh, for a lot of teams to get to where they need to get to. And, you know, I'm probably imagining a lot of teams will approach it kind of like preseason where they're really going to, obviously, I think, I don't think the first game back, they're going to play, you know, Kyle Lowry 40 minutes, although, you know, we'll see. Uh, But, you know, it'll be more of like a warm up session, just get everyone ready to go. And and in that front, the Raptors actually have a pretty good cushion because, you know, um, they're up three games on the Celtics for the second seed in the East. Uh, they're up two games on the Clippers for the third seed overall in the league. Um, and really, the Raptors don't have much incentive to try to like spring up to the second seed in the... Well, first off, the first seed in the Eastern Conference is already gone. 
But um, they're also down three games on the Lakers for the second seed overall in the league, and, and I don't really see that being closed. So, yeah. No, I, and and then you'd get into the fact that like each sub, like each incremental um, jump up the standings means a little less. Like, yeah, if you are if you're in the four five mix in the East, maybe you want to catch Boston because then you avoid Milwaukee's side of the bracket or something like that. Mm-hmm. But like. If the Raptors and Celtics get locked into two three, well, like home court doesn't matter anymore, really. Mm-hmm. So, like, do you are you jockeying for that position? Probably not. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I I do understand though. So my big thing with the finishing of the regular season games is I don't think I think you're right. Like I think the Raptors could pretty casually approach that as a let's get our feet back under us, like go at seventy percent speed, make sure we get there healthy. Um, and then obviously, again, looking at things holistically, you got to make sure as many teams as possible can get whole from a revenue perspective. Um, but I would, this is another thing where there's an information gap here. If I'm the league, I'm looking at, uh, you, you have to weigh, you know, is the regional TV deal for Detroit, Washington, and Charlotte, say, worth adding 14 more teams to the bubble and expanding the bubble by twice the size and therefore requiring that many more tests and the, increasing the risk factor by that many more just by the amount of people there and the amount of people that could um, potentially you know, be re-patient zero. Um, and, and then obviously if you don't do that and you decide to go a course that doesn't make those teams whole with their TV deals, you kind of have to reimagine what revenue sharing looks like um, you know, because it's not their fault either that you've chosen to, to proceed without them. So that's that to me, I think, is the is the toughest one for um, Adam Silver and company. And I guess Michelle Roberts, too, because it'll affect the, the revenue side is, uh, you know, if you're strictly going in terms of minimizing risk, the fewer teams you can bring there, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's a huge revenue swing, if it ends up affecting 10 or 15 or 20 regional TV deals, then maybe you have to suck it up and everyone plays to 70 or 72 games. And if that means that Michael Mulder's getting 30 shots a night in the Golden State <laughs> games, that's what it means. Yeah, Windsor represent. Um, okay, let's talk about the logistics. 519, baby. Is, is Windsor also 519? How far, yeah, how I didn't, far I didn't is 519? Jeez. It covers everything, man. It's uh, everything everything the, the sun touches or whatever that line is from Lion King. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's not a lot out there. Um, okay, let's talk about logistical issues uh, for the Raptors. Um, so this is brought up by Woj where, you know, uh, the Raptors were among a couple of other teams uh, in the Eastern Conference um, where um, they inquired as to, okay, let's say we restart in Orlando. Can we just go directly there instead of going back to our home market and quarantine? Because this is where the Raptors are super unique, obviously being in another country is that um, okay, so right now, obviously, the border is closed, but uh, it seems like athletes are going to be able to get around this. Um, the issue is when you go to another country, you need to quarantine for 14 days. And so if like someone like Kyle Lowry, who's been uh, working out uh, in Philadelphia, uh, if he comes back to Toronto, then has a quarantine for 14 days, uh, which means he can't go to the gym, he can't use anything else, whatever. Uh, he can't go to the OVL Athletic uh, Center and things like that. And then... You know, they're going to Orlando like pretty much a week after that. And then he has to go and quarantine another two weeks. Uh, Is it even worth it? And so, um, yeah. So I guess the question is like, can we try to figure out which players are where? Because it seems like about half of the roster is here in Toronto. And so they're going to need to like conduct this 14-day quarantine regardless because they're going to have to cross the border. Um, But, you know. For me, I mean, I think the Raptors are smart in this sense. Like, they should just, if they're going to decide that we're going to return in Orlando, then boom, let's just immediately send everyone there. And everyone who's been working on the States, you don't need to come back to Toronto because why would you? Yeah, I mean, not only is it like you have to decide whether that's worth it or not, but also it might, it could conceivably muck up the league's timeline if, yeah. uh, if you know, everyone had to get back to Toronto and quarantine for 14 days and then they all had to go to Orlando, unless you're going to like give the Raptors a disproportionately small amount of um, prep time, uh, then I don't know, like, I don't know how you navigate that. So yeah, I, I would expect... I don't. This isn't reporting. This is um, just like applying common sense to this. I would expect that when the league, if and when the league calls teams and are and are like, "Hey, you can reassemble your guys," uh, the Raptors are going to figure something out on the other side of the border 
Um, because like you said, bringing everyone back here, then quarantining, then starting up a training camp, then going to Orlando, then quarantining again, uh, would put the Raptors further behind. It introduces extra risk factors. Uh, so I don't think it's, I don't think it's worthwhile just to have it at OVO versus somewhere else. And like you said, I think, I think at this point, half the team is not in Toronto anyway. So, um, you know, when you're talking, when you're thinking logistically, like there's not much difference, uh, bringing everyone back to Toronto versus bringing the people that are in Toronto somewhere else. So, yep. And you know, I, so Larry's in Philly. It seems like Norm, according to that, uh, call we did, um, the conference call that he did, uh, Norm's working out in Vegas. Terrence Davis uh, is was in Miami with DeJuan Hernandez, and then he went uh, to Tennessee. I actually think uh, DeJuan and Terrence are back in Toronto, I'm pretty sure. Oh, word? Wow. Um, I think I think so. O'Shea Brissett posted an Instagram story with them. So unless that was just like an old phone dump, mm. they might be back in Toronto. Okay. Maybe he just missed them. I don't know. Uh, that's very adorable if that's the case. Um, Fred... Fred's been working on a Rockford. Uh, yep. Hasn't seen a. I mean, I mean, you know, Fred's. You know, Fred's following quarantine when uh, his hair is the way it is right now. Man. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I think it's Brian. I think it's Brian Latt from Throne Barber that does the OVO haircuts. Uh, he has not headed down to Rockford apparently. So. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then yeah, I mean, there, I think most the other guys are in Toronto, like Siakam, Ibaka. No one's really seen OG, I guess. That's really been a, yeah. a point of curiosity on uh, on social media, but you know yeah. th- that's the way OG rolls. Uh, do you know where Gasol is? I feel like I would assume Toronto or Memphis. Like I don't think he would right. have gone back to Spain because like the tough part would be like he had kids, and I think his kids are school age, mm-hmm. so they would have had to probably freeze in place until they found out what was happening with the with schools. Right, right. Um, so whether that was Toronto or Memphis, I'm not sure. But he's probably around somewhere. Uh, Matt Thomas went home, I'm pretty sure, too. Oh, he did? Okay. Uh, Paul Watson's in Phoenix. Guys are spread out, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, honestly, there might even be an advantage competitively if, like, it seems really serious and they're really going to do it. Like, it might even make sense to go a little bit earlier so that that 14 days, um, you know, doesn't doesn't cut into as much into the training. Because we're looking at such a small window that 14 days of quarantine is actually pretty significant uh, in terms of all of these guys in terms of returning to their conditioning finding their form practice time and everything like that so yeah i mean if you're looking at like the rumors have been like a mid-july to early august start for actual games and these calls are supposed to happen the gm's calls on thursday and the board of governors calls on friday you're already looking at like may is over on sunday yes yeah so then you're looking at you have basically six weeks to execute your plan, negotiate all the stuff with the Players Association that needs to be negotiated, figure out the logistics, get everyone to Disney or wherever, have the 14-day quarantine, have the two- to three-week training camp. So you got to get moving on this. Like, like, like if, if teams aren't, aren't like, um, descending on Orlando by mid to late June, like, I don't know if this timeline is doable. And that's, like, mid to late June is real soon. Yep. Yep, for sure. And Which is exciting. Like, like I, I know that we should pepper this podcast with like lots of the qualifiers of like, oh, like we only want it back if they do it safely and everything. Mm-hmm. I think people, I would hope people know that. Um, but man, the timeline makes it like I've been very anxious about it, but also it's pretty exciting that it like it's starting to feel close-ish. Yeah, for sure. No, it definitely is, man. Um, and it's it's just good to talk about like actual basketball stuff, which is nice. Um, yeah, man. Uh, and, and then the last thing about logistical issues, I would say, is so Mark Stein added that teams will be allowed about 35 people, uh, including players and coaches, as a traveling party. So that's – what would you say? That's like half of what the Raptors usually travel with? Because the Raptors usually the Rap- usually more than 50, right? Yeah, it's a, I think it's in the 55 range. I don't know the exact number. And it might vary, like, you know, sometimes Bobby Webster and Masai are there. Sometimes they're not and stuff uh-huh. like that. Um, but I'd say, like – like 55 is probably roughly the average. Um, and that includes, you know, players, coaches, front office, medical and training staff, uh, security, media relations, all that stuff. So some of that stuff, like you can knock off a couple right away if you assume something like uh, the league is going to handle security for all the teams. Then, you know, you don't yeah. have to send John Altoya on the road. The Raptors might want him anyway. 
they they might find a way to make him work your thirty five work in the thirty five. Um, you know, the coaching staff when you include video coordinators and stuff like that mm-hmm. is like double digits. So you can trim a couple there, maybe. Uh, we don't know. Like, are two way players going to be roster eligible? If right. so, then you're at seventeen players. If not, you're at fifteen. Um, so you know, even that makes it when you're when you're counting heads, that makes a big difference because you're going to want. Like, you, you probably don't want to go to, like, a centralized medical team. Like, you want McKechnie there mm-hmm. yeah. uh, if, you know, if he's, you know, obviously with everyone, it assumes they're they're willing and feel safe going. Uh, and then you need, like, training the strength and training staff, and you need um, the, play, the people who work out with players and get them ready. And then you probably need, like, you know, Paul Elliott or Kevin DiPietro who kind of run things, the, the moment-to-moment stuff mm-hmm. with equipment and schedules and stuff like that. Um, you probably need at least one of them, so it adds up real quick. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then we don't know what the media situation is going to be, but you probably need at least one media relations person there uh, to handle things like TV interviews, and if there are any print or digital media outlets there mm-hmm. uh, as well. Yeah, no, I mean, when I saw the thirty-five member, I was really surprised, just because. I mean, I understand completely; it's it's extremely difficult, but at the same time, like that's just such a small number. Uh, as as compared to like like half of that is just a roster period, and then you add in the coaches, and you're already at like twenty plus. So um, yeah, and it's tough decisions. Like like if you you know say the Raptors say they have to decide on a number of coaches, and normally they have Nick, his three lead assistants, four or five backbench people, and then a couple video coordinators. You know, if you cut a couple of the backbench people who do a lot of the like shooting sessions with guys, like like Jim Sam, Brittany Donaldson, and John Bennett, for example, who do a lot of the like player development stuff and getting guys warmed up for games and stuff, if you cut them and try to minimize the coaching staff, you know, can your assistant coaches do as good a job if they are now suddenly the people in those roles mm. uh, and you add that to your plate? Or if you cut. You know, if a couple of your video coordinators, if you're like, oh, we can leave those guys back in Toronto and they can do the work from a central hub in Toronto and just like ship it over, you know, is that that lag that you create in the process, does mm-hmm. that hurt? Especially if you're playing some back to backs because you don't have to travel and stuff like that. Or is that a reasonable area to cut? So these are things that like I'm sure teams are already starting to think about these things, um, but they really they're going to have to get creative on the on the process side. And, uh, you know, and then that's before even like the bigger questions, like does do Masai and Bobby want to be there and do they count for the, as part of the 35 mm-hmm. or is there like, um, you know, do executives count different or, or how do you do all that? Oh uh, man, I can't wait for the, the whole stands to be just empty. And then Masai is the only one guy in there yelling at people. Scre- <laughs> screaming at the referees. Yeah. Just F Brooklyn, F Brooklyn. <laughs> Yeah, um, um, and then you know, there's there are also considerations. These are way beyond the scope of a Raptors podcast, but like, if you look ahead to the draft and you have like, say they do say like, okay, like the GM for every team can come, and that doesn't count as part of your 35 or whatever. Um, you know, does the NBA look at banging out a draft combine while everyone's there and bringing in some some players? Like, I would say there's a non-zero chance that they try to tack on something draft related while everyone's centralized too that makes sense Uh, and then you're you know that's another thing that the staff has to look at that's obviously probably a a secondary or even tertiary consideration but um you know that's uh that's something that that might get added to all of this as well yeah this is all messy as hell man even just thinking about this right now yeah man i keep (laughs) i keep derailing us with more and more questions we're trying to we're you you wanted me to come on to talk about answers and i'm just yeah no i mean too many questions listen no one really has great answers about this right now man and it really honestly all these questions are like extremely valid and all these things are gonna need to be solved um if we if we pivot over to sort of i guess for the raptors like how much should they try to evaluate or how much should they sort of lend credence to what happens in a tournament like this you know what i mean because yeah and and then also my other question is like how do you how does some of this stuff affect like awards and things like that because the raptors are also in contention for a lot of those other things and if you just end the regular yeah. season, then who knows, right? Yeah, I think, you know, I think I don't have a vote. Um, the media votes on a lot of the awards. Say they come back and they say every team's going to get the 72 regular season games. I would imagine what most voters will do will kind of consider those extra games as like, 
you know, if anything, they're going to be like splitting hair. Like if you can't decide between Tatum or Siakam for the third team all NBA forward spot, maybe how they play in those couple games swings things um, because they are statistically so close. Uh, but I think most people would look at the 64 or 65 games to date as the true season and, and vote that way. From an evaluation standpoint, um, you know, I don't think those regular season games, if they finish any, or even the pool play would be particularly illuminating. Um, you know, we know that things look a little messier early in the season. Turnover rates are higher. Offense maybe isn't as good and guys are playing their way back into shape. I do think though, once you got to a knockout stage or if you played a regular playoff format, once you got out of the first round, you know, then those are games where guys are going to be really competitive and you're going to be playing against really good competition and you've shaken the rust off. I think anything, once you get down to eight teams and you're in kind of the, the quarterfinal stage, that's going to be really helpful. And I think that's, that's from an evaluation standpoint, and that's from a development standpoint. So if you're looking at guys like Siakam or Tatum um, and, and OG Ananobi, Fred Van Vliet, and trying to project how they're going to look going forward, um, you know, yeah, it's going to come with a bit of a, an asterisk or the, the cloud of the situation. But I don't think that those games, you know, guys are still going to be trying their hardest and defenses are still going to be trying to game plan to stop those guys. And they're going to be trying to respond to that. Um, I think once you shake off the first couple games, whether it's the pool play regular season or first round of the playoffs, um, the stuff, everything that it, that it looks beyond there is going to be really helpful still. And I think, you know, you obviously keep in mind the nuance of the situation, but if you're looking at like, you know, OG's extension or Fred Van Bleet's free agency or Pascal Siakam, how he's growing in the number one role and the Raptors get a playoff series against Denver or Boston or Philadelphia and then get a playoff series against Milwaukee or the Lakers. That's super helpful information still. So um, there'll be a lot of noise, especially early on. But the further you go, the more valuable uh, a situation this will be, I think, from a, from a front office perspective. Yep. Um Siakam's the big one I'm interested in from oh, the yeah. Raptors' perspective, you know, like because he's been like, kind of up and down too. Um, yeah, and it, and there were some signs that he was starting to figure it out a, a little bit before the hiatus, and there are you know the the, the signs also that. You know, the Raptors were a little better in crunch time because they kind of optimized the way they were using Siakam. Whereas, you know, you could make a case that I don't think they were trying to make it harder on him, but they were letting him play through some difficulties mm-hmm. that in the playoffs you'd optimize around and stuff. So, um, and then he's also the type of player that, like, probably used this time to try to improve because, you know, as Rico Hines says, no, he's never met a guy who enjoys the process of improving as, as much as Siakam. So, yeah. He'd be the one Raptor that I'm really uh, curious about. I think, you know, Fred's free agency has more of an impact. It's how the league handles the salary cap has more of an impact on him. Yeah. Um, but if he got to play another playoff series against uh, a long team that he has had, you know, he struggled against the 76ers but figured it out against the Bucks. if you gave him another tough matchup like that to kind of prove himself and show he can, you know, finish against some length and be a, an engine in another playoff series... I think that would help him a lot as well. Yeah. No, there's a lot of things on the line. Like, um, we were in that call with Terrence Davis, and, you know, he was talking about sort of a lot of players, like, make their money in the playoffs. You know what I mean? And yeah. this is this is pretty significant. I, I think, actually, this actually creates a nice opportunity for um, for these awards to be finally voted on after the season's over, like, including the playoffs. Because I have always kind of felt a little strange about some of these things. Like, I think, mean, obviously, there was no stranger situation than when Dwayne Casey... Uh, was voted yeah. was voted coach of the year and one coach of the year, but then he had already been let go at that point and didn't have a team. Um, so you know it would be kind of cool just to see like you know maybe we do factor in some of the playoffs into some of these awards because I, I think that also does give you a more accurate picture. But um, there's also it does, but I, I also I think they're measuring different things, right? Like okay, like your award for the playoffs is how well you do in the playoffs. So like I've never really had an issue with the MVP award not representing the playoffs because like that's what the finals mvp is for um you know it'd be nice if there was more nuance to that but i feel like a lot of the time um people would the way people now like the the way it's set up now you can't incorporate the playoffs into the regular season awards i feel like if you included the playoffs you'd go the other way where like the playoffs would be such a dominant factor uh, in the way people thought about things which don't get me wrong the playoffs are the most important thing um but when you're talking about you know, sixth man of the year or rookie of the year. I'm okay with those things only reflecting the 
the season, you know, because some guys are only going to get four games or zero games to kind of make their case uh, for an award. Yeah, I do think you know with things like all defense, it probably gives you a much higher, a much more valuable um, data set because like you can't watch eighty-two games of every team and every defender closely. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I I don't I don't care that much about that one. Yeah, I was gonna say if they're if they're gonna try to implement implement new things, um, this would be the best time to implement just a, a playoffs type of awards like. If you yeah. play, you know, like Eurobasket or uh, in one of those tournaments, they have like an all-tournament team. And of course, that's the only competition, so that's kind of like all-NBA. But it'd be cool to have like a playoff version of that, right? Because, you know, obviously, Finals MVP is like a great award and it's very prestigious and, and things like that. Um, but, you know, it's it'd be kind of cool to have like a all-playoffs, you know, first team or something like that. Yeah, it'd be cool. It'd be um, you know like all tournament team or whatever. Yeah, it's a it's a cool idea. It's a you know Hubie Brown might have voted differently. Oh man, <laughs> in the finals, if he, if there's another way to reward Fred, I don't know. Fred Van Vliet, second team, uh, all 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 playoffs last year. Yeah, certainly all finals. I don't know about all playoffs. All all conference, all second half of the conference finals and all finals. All last nine games where he averaged 14 points per game and shattered everyone's. Uh, minds and um yeah anyway i don't want to talk about that uh last thing i actually want to talk about was your story about paul watson which um oh did, sorry did we not want to talk about like what the raptors rotation might look like when they come back like do you want to just touch on that quickly oh yeah sure i mean it was in your rundown that so is true wanna... that is true um i, I mean yeah I, I wrote who the starting five is but i mean like as a question but i think it's pretty set like i think even though norm was playing amazing basketball i think they're gonna stick with the five that they have yeah, um, I think the top seven guys, like, like obviously early on, you're going to want to expand that rotation and get everyone as much time as you can. But like, if you look mm-hmm. ahead to the second round of the playoffs and beyond, or the first round coming out of that pool or whatever, um, you know, they're gonna things are going to be eight guys, maybe nine, and then Nick Nurse has shown he he won't hesitate to go as low as seven. Um, so I think the seven, like the top seven, not a lot is going to change. Unless the time off just, like, killed Marcus Gasol or Serge Ibaka or something. But I don't I don't really think that's going to happen. Like, I think we know the top seven, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, no, that's one of the luxuries that the Raptors have is, like, they have this... Obviously, everyone's going to be suffering from a lack of continuity. Um, but the Raptors, obviously, have seven players that they won a championship with. And that core is there. And really, if you can go, you can go eight if you want to include uh, McCaw in that as well. And I think Nick will probably be inclined to add McCaw to that. So let's just talk about a core um, eight. Um, yeah. The other thing, too, is like the Raptors, and I'm sure all 30 teams are doing this to some degree, so it might not be a competitive advantage, but it might tilt more toward one for the Raptors because they are such a like high IQ team that thrives on that kind of defensive... Um, like mind meld is like they've been doing like regular video sessions between coaches and, and players to kind of keep this stuff fresh. So, yep. um, you know, obviously I think as people have broken down the Raptors defensive success more and more during the time off or during the course of the season, like it was, it became really apparent how much it's communication and system knowledge and stuff like that. Uh, so, you know, that, that should be, an advantage over at least some teams coming back. Yeah, like if you look at the Clippers, for example, like that's such a new team, kind of thrown together out of the ether. Um, then they added Marcus Morris uh, right before the deadline. Like, you know, who knows what that team looks like? Or even like the Lakers, you can make that same case for them as well. So, um, yeah, hopefully that's an advantage for the Raptors. Uh, last thing we want to talk about was uh, Paul Watson. So, um not a lot of people know about Paul Watson, so let's start from here. Like, how did the Raptors find him? Apparently, he was on the 2017 Summer League roster. I do, do not oh, yeah. remember this at all. So, he was in for pre-draft workouts in 2017, the year that they took OG. Um, obviously, he wasn't in the mix for 27 as a, as a guy who went undrafted, or 23, rather. Um, but this is what the Raptors used those pre-draft workouts for a lot of the time. And, like, in 2016 to 2017, they brought in, like, 50 or 60 guys each year. What they do is they create a baseline on a guy and like you get a closer look at him, you get to know him, and then you have, you know, a better baseline than just his college track record to chart his growth and see where he might go. And and Matt Thomas is another guy that was in those 2017 pre-draft workouts. He was actually supposed to be on the Raptors 2017 uh, summer league team as well. And then ended up on the the Lakers summer league team instead. So um, you can see, 
see how they use that. Uh, Malcolm Miller's another guy who I'm not sure if it's through the pre-draft workouts or through a free agent mini camp or something like that. They kind of charted his growth um, and watched him that way. But the big thing for Paul Watson was after two years in the G League, he was like, to be honest, like he was pretty mid. He wasn't. He was like a board, like a rotation guy, but not a key rotation guy for a pretty good Westchester Knicks team. And you look and like the stat line's not that impressive. But having seen those Westchester teams, like they really didn't use their wings much in the offense. Um, and so this summer, Jama Malalela, the Raptors 905 head coach, took on the coaching job for the G League Elite team, which is part of this G League International Series where they play some international teams. And before they had played um, like the Mexican national team, this time they were playing some international clubs, including Greg Monroe's Bayern Munich team. Okay. Uh, so they go down to uh, Uruguay and do this tournament and they have some practices. Uh, they had like a, a camp in Miami before they headed over there. Uh, and so Jama and Charles Kissy and a couple of the other staff got to know Paul Watson a little bit and just raved about him. And so Jama came back and he told Chad Sanders, the 905 GM, hey, I really like this guy and I think he could be a fit for our 905 system. Um, at that point, I think Watson was probably still on the fence about going overseas or doing a third year in the G League because like your third straight year in the G League, you get that you get that label, right? You're yeah. a third year. You're, on, you're Andre guy. Ingram at that point. Yeah, and you don't want that, and that's why you know that's why a guy like Jordan Lloyd goes back overseas, or a guy like Eric Moreland sits out all of last year waiting for a call instead of going to the G League, because um, there is you know there's less and less of a stigma year by year with the G League, but you still don't want to be a G League lifer. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Malalela convinced Sanders to to kind of acquire him. They traded the fourth overall pick in the G League draft. Uh, which is roughly equivalent to having the fourth overall pick in the Raptors Republic three-on-three tournament draft um, for Paul Watson. So they traded aside for Paul Watson. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, and then, yeah, Watson, like, pretty much... I remember um, one of the 905 staff asking me maybe eight games into the season, like, hey, what do you think the chances of a guy like Watson getting a 10-day or getting a call-up are? And I was pretty skeptical at the time because, for one, I think... I think if you're like a 25 year old wing, you have a little less chance of breaking through. Like there's just yeah, you know, if, if teams are going to swing for younger upside with wings sometimes, and you've really got to you've really got to stand out as a wing. Um, and the other thing was like there wasn't a ton of shooting sample yet, and I was like, okay, sure, if he keeps shooting 45 percent on threes, then he's really got a chance. And then he kept shooting 45 percent on threes. Mm-hmm. Um, so his three ball like took a significant step forward um and then like he improved as a as a guy like attacking closeouts and as a straight line driver too he's got a pretty good transition game because he's pretty athletic and can can get up for dunks um but the big thing was like he was always like a capable defender and a guy who could attack a closeout but now suddenly he had gone from a 35 percent three-point shooter on modest volume to a 45 percent three-point shooter on huge volume um, so obviously that's a swing skill for so many guys who are on the fringes uh, of the NBA. And, and like, there's so many guys when you go in the G league, it's like, Oh yeah, if he could shoot a three, he'd be in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Well, Watson actually took that step. So I think on top of the, the three ball and the fact that they already liked his defense and he rebounds really well for a forward and he's mostly a three defensively, but like he could guard some four and they would use him at the top of a two, three zone um, or not a 2-3 zone, but like the funkier zone that the Raptors use sometimes where they have two guys up top kind of scrambling around, covering a lot of distance. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's got some defensive versatility. Uh, but the big thing was, too, beyond the three-point growth, is that he showed a lot of um, – it's something I've started to call development capacity where, like, you can tell it's, – it's something that they liked with O'Shea, too, where O'Shea wasn't all that impressive in college or in summer league. But then once they worked with him for a little bit, they saw things clicking really quickly and you know then you can like project a guy out and it's like okay well if he picked up this much this quickly maybe more can can kind of get tacked on so um you know i don't think i don't think they're projecting watson to be like the next pascal or even og or anything like that but a guy who can hit threes at that level and has good positional size and like he's a he's a wonderfully nice person too and everyone really likes him so if you're looking for guys that could maybe fill the back end of the roster for the next couple years as like you know, Malcolm Miller hasn't ever really contributed at the NBA team, but he's gotten three years on the roster by being kind of a three and D guy that they trust and can help the G league team out and is a good culture guy. And Watson could maybe kind of fill that role if he continues to, you know, obviously 
in in the best case scenario, he's going to swing a little higher than you know the the 500 minutes that Miller's played over three seasons. Um, but in terms of like his potential fit and what they see in him, it's kind of a guy like that, like an overage prospect who still has some upside, and you could probably lean on as like a floor guy if you needed him in the rotation. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting way to sort of um, like it's it's really I think the next step for the nine uh, like for just for the G League. Uh, league as a whole just to sort of move towards more of that minor league kind of system because like you know if you're if you're in the minor leagues in baseball like you there's a real chance you get called up for something like this and you know for Paul Watson he's already got a couple of 10 days so that's good um and it'll be kind of cool to see the Raptors sort of develop this sort of pipeline where they can kind of convert some of these guys not necessarily um I mean obviously he's on a, he's on a two-way but um maybe not even just a two-way guys maybe they can convert more of those guys and bring them over and things like that um you know, it, I mean, Boucher came along the same path too, right? When exactly. He went from a two-way guy to a, and Miller started out as a two-way. And I know that like throwing a Miller comp at Watson is not like a, like it's not a sexy thing. No, but, but like, Malcolm Miller is like undeniably a success. Yeah, and like I'm, I'm still pretty confident he's an NBA caliber player. He just like happens to play on a really good deep mm-hmm. team. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's it's also like. When you think about how you want to use these last couple roster spots, when you're a win now team, like yeah, you you do still want to take swings for the fences because that's how you get Pascal's and guys like that. Um, but you also need to, you know, the 20 year olds with high upside are going to get picked up in the draft, right? You have to find ways um, that other teams aren't exploiting to mm-hmm. to develop guys. And then you know, if you're a team like the Raptors who you want to maximize the contention window, you have to have guys who can step in too. And it's maybe, you know, the the shinier 21-year-old who has a higher 100th percentile projection is cool, but like maybe developmentally it's not a good situation for them to be on a two-way and not see NBA time and um, stuff like that. And some of that's personality-based too, where like O'Shea's a guy who fits that description, but has been well-served by doing the two-way thing and getting some spot NBA minutes. But, um, you know, I think... I think that the whole overage prospect thing is something that the Raptors do well. And I don't want to go so far as to call it like a market inefficiency or anything because it's not like they've derived a, a great deal of NBA value from from these G League uh, to, to third string guys yet. But I think it's a good way and a, and a smart way to use what's become a pretty good um, development pipeline, especially like for right now while NBA teams don't have a lot of claim over their G League guys where like anyone could have scooped up Tyler Ennis. Um, you know, the fact that they're able to turn these guys into value for the NBA team of any kind is uh, impressive and important. Yeah, no, I can't wait to uh, read your version of Moneyball, um, you know, written for Dan Tolzman. Or, uh, yeah, we'll talk about that off the air. <laughs> oh, OK. Wow. Um, yeah. And then the, the one thing that's also really interesting is I was listening to your your podcast uh, with you and Eric Kareen, uh Raptors Reasonableists. Uh, uh, and you guys had Rico Hines on, and that's another connection that the Raptors kind of have with this Paul Watson thing, because uh, you know Paul Watson, another Rico Hines student, and it seems like um, well, first off, actually just listening to that conversation, Rico just seems like a really positive dude, uh, really encouraging, and, and you could definitely see why he's a coach. Um, but yeah, there's a connection there too. Yeah, for sure. So Rico um, or uh, Paul, rather, uh, so he's a Fresno State guy. He's from Phoenix, but. Um, has done his summer work with Rico since he went on draft in 2017. But last offseason, he, like, full-on at the end of the G League season, moved to L.A. and just, like, swallowed up the rent on a G League salary uh, to work out at those Rico runs full-time. So um, when the Raptors were there, and the Raptors do, like, two weeks in L.A. in the summer where they do their own sessions in the morning, and then they play Rico runs later on, and Paul was in those runs. He wasn't with the Raptors yet. But he was in those runs, so um, he had a bit of f- familiarity with the guys. And then, you know, Rico is like, Rico Hines is positive to where he's going to rave about any of his guys, probably. Like, if I had asked him about Stanley Johnson, he probably would have, like, raved about him, too. Yeah. Um, but Rico was pretty confident that, like, Watson's going to be going to be a guy. And, you know, Rico knows his game pretty well and had some good things to say about his work ethic and, like, how things clicked for him this past summer. So, um gonna be an interesting guy to track and you know it'll be uh i'm excited to see i I hope whatever format we get there's some opportunity for guys like that to get 
to get a couple minutes um you know maybe that's probably not realistic because like why would you give the minutes to the 17th guy when you got to get 15 other guys ready for the playoffs but maybe we'll get something like a fall league or something like that yeah so well anyway this is a i, I thought this was a really interesting story and it's kind of a reminder that, like look the, the raptors development system is it's pretty damn good man this is a pretty good find and i think his personal story is also really good too so um yeah and it's like it's also a good reminder that like i know people scoff sometimes or like make jokes about like the degree to which me and a couple other people follow the g league or whatever but like wait, who scoffs at that is, is it potentially uh... <laughs> yeah it's uh you know this stuff matters like like uh-huh. to use the wire phrase like all the pieces matter and it's you know, Paul Watson's maybe not going to swing a, an NBA championship game when play resumes for 2020. But, like, you know, we've seen O'Shea Brissett swing a game or Malcolm Miller swing a game in the regular season yeah. and stuff like that. And, um, you know, plus plus we know that uh, these third-string guys play the scout team as, as guys are getting ready for the playoffs. So, oh, man. Um, maybe, maybe Paul Watson's been prepping to play, like, the Giannis role for the for the Milwaukee Bucks scout series or something like that. Yo, I can't wait for people to get mad that Paul Watson got a ring. <laughs> can't wait man yeah. all right blake someone someone's got it jordan lloyd to this day is still the uh the only two-way player to receive a ring so oh there you go see see the raptors are generous we even gave one to nev um Oof. uh jv revenge series in the oh, 16 man. format. yeah that's 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 gonna once and for all settle the uh gasol jv debate which I, I it's funny that i still see it once in a while which i'm mean, like it's yeah. it's 40 40 year old mark gasol bottling up jv in a playoff yeah i know at that point jv has got to take the hell man (laughs) yeah i don't know why gasol i assume gasol has aged five years during quarantine but i feel like he's gonna have like he's gonna come back with this is throwing stones from a glass house but i feel like gasol is gonna come back with like gray in the beard and stuff oh um my beard's out of control right now and has a more gray in it than i would like but all right blake me and marcus all distinguished you know yeah, you're just like the Russian doll version of Marcus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, Blake, thanks uh, so much okay. for coming on the podcast. Um, read all of his work at The Athletic. Listen to Raptors Reasonable Lists and, um, you know, listen to your music pod as well. So what's what? Columbia House Party. Yeah. Check it out. So you got a pretty famous guest on this week. Oh, yeah. Max came on. Yeah. Talked a little bit about Nick Nurse. Talked about Constantine's. More five one nine legends for you, Will. Mm, wow. Okay, I'm gonna pretend like I know what that, all that is. I mean, I know what the Arkells is because I, I went to Mac, and you know that's uh, where the Arkells started. But uh, did they say anything good well, about Nick Nurse? Yeah, I mean, he he just we talked about because like Max was the last person I saw basically socially before lockdown because oh, I was yeah, at that Nick right. Nurse event. That's right. Um, that um, they performed with him. So uh, Arkells are also like auctioning off some some stuff today, including some stuff from that night on their Instagram account at Arkells Music. Okay, is he auctioning off the Nick Nurse hat that uh, he received? Not the hat, but I think there were some shirts from that event. Wow. Okay. The Nick Nurse hat's for sale now, by the way. You can yeah. get it from through like the they raise money to for the Nick Nurse Foundation. You know, I'm not gonna buy that hat. Yeah, I'm just giving cheap plugs for everyone all over the place. Uh, all right, fair enough. Um, so. All right, well, Blake, thanks for coming on. And as for the listeners, thanks for listening. Uh, There uh, will be a Raptors classic reaction podcast this week. um, So look out for that. But uh, yeah, hopefully basketball resumes soon and safely. And uh, we can get back to, I don't know, handing out Gerald Henderson awards and getting mad at McCaw or whatever. Hopefully not mad at McCaw, man. We got to (laughs) end that, man. Come on. I hope the quarantine is giving people perspective as to there's things more important than how many minutes McCaw is playing. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. I would uh, I would certainly like that. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.